0: Welcome in to a Saturday afternoon edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. We are starting off with the newest New York Knicks, Marcus Morris. We will break down his signing and what it means for the Knicks rotation.
1: And then we're going to break down the Knicks' fourth summer league game from this past Wednesday. Going to pretend the third game never happened because it was terrible. And then break down their consolation game tonight on Saturday. So all that's coming up and more on Locked On Knicks. You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Knox, foul from behind. Calvin at one. Fist, push what he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane. To Trier. Trier drives. Oh, we oh, infectious. It.
0: You are locked on Knicks. We appreciate you tuning in to your favorite New York Knicks podcast, or at least the one you are currently listening to. I'm Gavin Shaw. Across the river is Alex Wolf. If you are in your car, you can just, uh, and you have a smart device, you can just tell your smart device to play a podcast. Locked on Knicks. And we really appreciate you giving us a listen, as always. I never, ever say this, and I haven't been on in a couple of podcasts, so I'm just going to throw it out there because it it seems fun to say, and I hear other podcasts do it, and I want to hear what you guys think of us. So um, if you haven't already, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, uh, preferably five stars. And and the beauty is if you give us five stars, I I, I I don't care what you write about us. You can say the most horrible things about us, our families, our pets. No, I think pets would be taking it a little bit far. Um, and it's fine, as long as you give us five stars. All right, uh, with that, Alex, uh, we are going to get into it. Uh, the Knicks signed Marcus Morris to a one-year, $15 million contract. Um, Morris had previously agreed to, I believe, a, if my memory serves, a two-year, $20 million deal with the San Antonio Spurs that he decided to renege on. To um, join the New York Knicks, so uh, kind of a kind of a big win uh, for New York in that they beat the Spurs for a free agent. I'm sure the five million dollars, extra five million, had something to do with that. But still, nice to get a premier player in Marcus Morris, and uh, we've seen some make the argument that he could even be considered the Knicks' best player heading into next season.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an argument to be made. I mean, he's he's an efficient scorer. Um, I don't necessarily want him to be, you know, I don't want him to be a number one option or anything, but he's certainly going to I think there's like probably like a 80 percent chance that he's going to be in the starting lineup one way or the other because he's he's really talented. Um, I don't know how they're going to make that happen, uh, given that he's of a similar profile to Kevin Knox, honestly, and um, David Fisdale played Kevin Knox at the three. Consistently, even though, you know, long term, his position might be better suited as the four. uh, I could definitely see Morris maybe even starting at the three, even with Julius Randall and Mitchell Robinson out there. Uh, At the very least, even if he comes off the bench, he's he's probably the first guy off the bench now, um, because I I think he's definitely more talented than like Bobby Portis, for example. I mean, although I think Portis is mostly going to play back up five now. Uh, and I certainly, you know, you can't justify playing Taj Gibson or something over Marcus Morris. Like he's, he's really good. I am actually, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for this signing, um, and what it means for the Knicks and, and the fact that they have another guy that can reliably score the ball. That's definitely uh, a good thing to have on this team.
0: Yeah. My, my initial reaction was like, oh no, I mean, I, I think partially because I, I watched, uh, him and his brother in Phoenix for three years, and it was just, like, a shit show personality-wise. Though that wasn't entirely on them. It was kind of the situation. But I've just... I I mean, I think just given that, like, I always knew of him, like, in that context, like, I always kind of, like, laughed, like, when I thought of, like, the Morris brothers. And I was like, okay, I'm in there, like... I just... Personality-wise, they were never really... My cup of tea, but he's legitimately, and I mean, they were always both really talented. It was interesting because Markeith initially in their careers was certainly considered the more talented of the two, but I think Marcus has kind of overtaken him, and you look at the stats from last year, and and you noted it, Alex, like he's really developed himself into a legitimate two-way wing, which I never totally expected out of him, and just positionally it, it didn't necessarily make sense for the Knicks to bring in another guy in that mold, but for my money, he, he is like pretty—I like I agree with what Jonathan Macri was saying. Like I, I think he pretty clearly is the best of the bunch. You look at the efficiency numbers from last year, 45% from the field, um, just under 38% from three, 84% from the foul line, 14 points, six rebounds per game. Um, in particular, I look at what he did in the Bucs series when no one on the Celtics was playing well. He shot better than 50% every single game. In fact, he shot better than 67% in three of the five games of that series. Um, averaged right around 15 points, like 10 rebounds per game. He was really, really good against a great team um, when Boston struggled as a whole. So just, just really every single thing about his game. And I, I guess defensively, like you could certainly like nitpick and like he probably wasn't quite as good as some people pegged him to be. But one on one, he, he's certainly a talented defender. I, I, so I guess my macro point on all of this is just to kind of wrap it up. Is I, I think he brings a lot to the table in terms of both efficiency and willingness to play defense that the other Knicks signings don't bring to the table. And I'm still, I guess, a little bit concerned just in the sense that like I don't think the starting lineup like has like an ideal amount of playmaking. And I don't think he particularly helps in that respect. But overall I think he fills a lot of holes for the Knicks. I think it was a great signing that's really gonna round this team out for next year.
1: Yeah, one thing that I really like about the signing that you sort of alluded to is that he's He like really cares, man. Like, uh, you know, there were times last year where and it's, you know, I think it's a byproduct of of the fact that there was zero expectations for last year's team. And I think, you know, as much as everybody talked a big game about trying to win games and this, that and the other, like I, I think all the young players on last year's team, it was like one of the youngest teams in the NBA. They knew that they weren't out there to win games and that they were mostly just being judged on how their personal performance, you know, improved over the season. So I think like this year, you're not going to have any of that like apathy, um, you know, with guys like Morris, like Bobby Portis, uh, like Alfred Payton to a degree, um, Ellington, who's, you know, like just a pro's pro, uh, Julius Randall, who's like, you know, really seems dedicated to his craft and, and wants to keep getting better and also make the team better. Um, I, I think there is going to be like last year. Fizdale talked about, oh, maybe we can make the playoffs. Is that the other I Nobody believed that. He didn't even believe that. Like, you could be sure of that. He was saying it just because, you know, you got to say that. This year, when they start saying that at camp, I'm actually going to believe them. Like, I really do think they've constructed a roster. You could argue, you know, about the the money they spent on various positions and stuff and whether it was a good investment. But Morris is just another one of these signings where, like, this guy really cares. And he's going he's gonna to go out there. He's going to give 100% every night he's going to be willing to stand up for his teammates and get in a fight if need be. Um, and, you know, you can obviously say the same for Bobby Portis. There was, I saw it, you know, there's a, <laughs> it feels like Bobby Portis has almost gotten in a fight with everybody in the league, but there's a, like a clip of when Portis was on the bulls and Morris was on the Celtics of them almost getting into a brawl on the court, you know, against one another. So they're going to be teammates. Now that should be like a destructive force in nature. <laughs> and you even got some of that, some of that mean streak in Mitchell Robinson too. So I, that's that's the biggest takeaway, I think, from most of these signings. And hopefully Reggie Bullock will end up still getting signed as well. They were they were reworking his contract because still of that mystery ailment or whatever it is. I'm, I'm still not sure what exactly uh, made them, you know, restructure that contract or whatever, but it's not quite done yet. But hopefully once you get all these guys in, you got a lot of hard nosed players, a lot of guys that are going to set, you know, on the court, especially a really good example for all the young players about how to go out there and just play tough NBA basketball and like go out there with the intention of kicking ass every single night. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it's going to be um, I, I, I think the Morris and, and, you know, all the other guys they brought on are going to bring a lot of that toughness this year. Yeah,
0: this is, this is probably like sacrilegious to say, particularly from someone who didn't get to watch um, the 90s Knicks. But does it it does sort of feel like a nineties Knicks esque kind of team, both in terms of the personalities and the skill sets, and that you, you do have like all these like multifaceted wings that are skilled and are not necessarily great shooters, but like different guys like Portis and Morris in particular, who can get hot and can make threes, and then like point guards that are like again, like not like necessarily like, the dynamic, like multifaceted, like incredibly high level shooter shooters and, and skilled players that you like see dominate the position today. But, like, are, like, theoretically, at least, I mean, we, we still, Dennis Smith Jr. kind of has to prove it, but, like, tough, kind of heady, like, fairly smart passers. Like, I, I think I said this, like, I, I know I haven't been on in, like, two weeks, but I, I think I said this, like, a while, um, like, when, when the first wave of free agency signings came in, it, it does sort of feel like the Knicks are building, like, a really good 90s basketball team. And, again, in, in some ways, Morris is, is different than that in, in how analytics-friendly his game is. And simultaneously, he, he does still kind of bring, like, that tough attitude, and he's, like, not really, like, like the typical, like, stretch finesse for that you see in the NBA today. Like, he, he is sort of, like, a bruising, like, bully while simultaneously being skilled. So that, that's sort of the vibe I get from this year's team. And, like, in, in 2019, like, especially with, like, the, the talent distribution that's across the league right now, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, not that anyone has this expectation, but I, I don't know if that's a great team necessarily, but I do think it is one that people are going to kind of fall in love with potentially.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it's definitely, like you said, I, you know, I don't really have that appreciation for the 90s Knicks either unfortunately. Um, I wish I could have been born, you know, five, six, seven years earlier sometimes just so I could have experienced that. But uh, you know, it, it's it definitely based off everything I know about those teams, this feels like the first team in a while that you could really say wants to hit everybody in the mouth in the same way that those nineties Knicks did. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it all, how it all plays out and how all these guys mesh um, in particular. Like I know we, we talked a little bit about a pre-show it, everybody's getting their jokes off about the, you know, the Knicks signed so many power forwards, blah, blah, blah. I'm not like a hundred percent certain that you can't play Morris at the small forward. Um, you know, it's, it, I think it would be a situational thing, you know, where you'd have the if you felt comfortable going big like that. Um, But I I do think he could play it. I mean, he certainly I think he plays offense like, you know, a small forward. You know what I mean? Like he's he's pretty decent uh, off the dribble and he's a good three point shooter. Like he's good on spot ups, I believe. Um, I'd be lying if I said I have like the full full. Scouting report on him, but I know that he's developed his game a lot, uh, especially in Boston last year. He did, uh, he shot, what was his true shooting last year? He shot 568 true shooting percentage last year, which was a career high for him as well. So, you know, the Knicks are continuing this trend too of, you know, they signed a bunch of vets that aren't necessarily superstars, but a lot of these guys, uh, you know, Morris, Portis, Randall, even Taj Gibson, who's on the older side, uh, Alfred Payton, all these guys are pretty much coming off career years and maybe still have room to grow despite being a little bit older because uh, Morris is going to be 30 in this season. But, um, you know, it's encouraging to see that that they have all these guys that, while being older, uh, don't look like they're primed for decline, and Morris uh, is definitely one of those guys too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I certainly think he can play the three He um, early in his career on the Suns, he actually mostly played small forward and it'll be it'll I I think it'll allow David Fisdale to put together some, um, I guess, kind of interchangeable lineups at the three, four, five spot. Like theoretically, you play like Brasdakis, Morris and Portis together like there. There's a little bit of switchability to switchability there offensively. You can kind of throw those guys in different spots with Morris and Brasdakis both playing on the perimeter and obviously Iggy's going to have to put some weight on before he can guard fours on the other end. But that's sort of the nice part about having Morris. Like it does give you that interchangeability on the wings and like defensively, I don't necessarily know if that carries over because I I don't think the Knicks are going to employ a particularly switch heavy scheme. And I don't necessarily think they have the personnel with so much youth to pull that off, but it is, it is interesting, especially like if you want to like say like there, and not that I necessarily agree with these designations long-term, but if you want to go supersized. And you want to play Barrett or Knox at the shooting guard spot? Like it does, it does give you that chance to say, like, hey, like a team runs a pick and roll, we're never going to get bullied. Like we're always going to have like the size and length to like at the very least be in it in terms of a matchup. Um, I, I think with that uh, we can just about wrap this up on Marcus Morris. We're going to get into all this more. We're going to talk about um, what the, we think the Knicks' rotation is going to look like on future podcasts. But for now, um, we should wrap up the Summer Suns because the Knicks, the Summer. Did I say the Summer Suns? The Summer Knicks because uh, they uh, played their second-to-last game against the Lakers, and it went really well. So we'll get into that next on Locked On Knicks.
1: All right, welcome back to the second segment of Locked On Knicks, talking about that game on Wednesday night against the Summer Lakers by the Summer Knicks. They won. It was a big win, 117-96. to Uh, honestly, it was a 21 point differential, but it felt like it could have been a 50 point differential based off how things went, uh, as it turned out, most of the starters sat for most of the fourth quarter. And so the Knicks actually lost that quarter, but still soundly won the game itself. Uh, it was, I I gotta say, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to pretend that that third game against the summer Raptors never happened because that was a really poor and sad display of basketball uh the Knicks came out with zero sense of urgency in that game Uh, I don't even care enough to look up the final score they only scored like 73 points which was just pathetic uh considering that summer league is generally a pretty torrid affair as far as pace goes and everything uh it was it was bad I mean they shot like under 30 percent as a team for the entire game which is just horrific uh so and and really just looked listless. That was the main takeaway was even guys like Mitchell Robinson who were always out there giving 100% on every single play. Uh, you know, he was he just didn't look interested in the game, despite the fact that he kind of put up some stats. Um, uh, they wound up sitting almost all the starters for most of the third in the fourth quarter and then put them back in. And that sort of lit a little fire under them. But on all, in all it was just a pathetic game. However, to to completely flip it around, they played the second game of the back to back on Wednesday. Um, and that was against the Lakers in the you know the aforementioned 21 point victory. and everybody played well. I mean, you really you couldn't find a single player that was not a standout. Uh, Kevin Knox had 25 points on seven to 12 shooting. RJ Barrett, he shot six to 17, which isn't the best in the world, but he got to the free throw line ten times. He had twenty-one points, ten rebounds, three assists, only one turnover, which was a big deal uh, because he had previously had some games with very high turnover totals. You had Kadeem Allen had thirteen points and six assists on five of five shooting, which was great for him. Uh, and also, of course, Mitchell Robinson, Iggy Brastakis. Uh Iggy had sixteen points on five of ten shooting. And Mitch had 13 points, 11 rebounds and five blocks on six of six, 100 percent shooting and looked really, really dominant. I mean, Mitch, the the score doesn't even do him justice. He, he destroyed the Lakers like all by himself. Those five blocks were like total dominance by him and nobody could really do a thing inside. Now, you could probably argue like the summer Lakers were not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't have nearly the pedigree that the Knicks were supposed to have, but it was still nice to see a victory. Um, it gets me, I mean, we'll talk about it in the next segment, but kind of gets me excited for the consolation game, Gavin, but I really enjoyed all the, the, there wasn't a single out of the starting lineup. I should say the bench was so, so, but as the starting lineup, there wasn't a single performance that did not encourage me in this game.
0: Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you. When we were talking pre-podcast, you described this as is essentially like an all-star game, and I, would, I would, basically agree with that. You look at the shooting numbers across the board, and it was just everything finally clicking. And I guess you, you basically, you saw why the Knicks were considered the pre-summer league championship favorites it sounds weird to say because it's such a meaningless thing but <laughs> I mean that, that that's why they were considered that and it, it, it it's so it, it's really it, it, I mean it, it's sort of the beauty of of young NBA players like I think you could almost see like how that got to their heads like when they went up by like 20 plus points whatever against the Pelicans and, and then like it sort of shifted from there and they really didn't play well for about two and a half games and then against this Lakers team that as you I think rightfully note was, was sort of ripe for the taking, and that. They don't have really any premium talent on their roster. Uh, no offense to uh, David Ware, who I feel like has been playing summer league for like 20 seasons now. Um, they, they don't really have a lot of top net level talent. Uh, that being said, like the Knicks like finally put it all together and you saw these guys really, really click. Um, I, I continue to love Kadeem Allen's game. Like I, I'm a big proponent of him somehow being in the rotation next year, which is why I was like. A little bit bummed when, uh, when the Knicks decided to sign Alfred Payton. Like, I, I, I really genuinely believe, like, Allen, like, surrounded by, like, the right talent, like, can be, like, a nice backup point guard in the NBA and just running things this game. Um, I think you continue to see why. Uh, Mitch, I mean, he, he's, like, the one guy this whole summer league really that, like, as, as you would almost expect, like, hasn't been disappointing in the slightest. And it, it really, like, it reminds me, like, I remember um, when I was in college, like, I was really closely, like, following um, Devin Booker's second summer league. And I think he came in and he only played like two games and he dropped like 30 like in each game. And you, you just like watched him and you're like, okay, wait, that guy's like way too good for summer league. And he, he was just sort of jogging back and forth. And like guys are, I mean, they're playing literally for their NBA lives, or like getting right up into him, like losing their minds in terms of intensity, trying to stop him. And he was just absolutely scrubbing them. And, and I kind of got the same feeling for Mitch. Like obviously we saw like the utter disrespect when his headband got thrown down, but it was sort of, it was sort of the ultimate sign of respect in a twisted way because it was just like okay this guy's like way too good to be here like what is he doing like i'm i'm doing my best to like show i belong in like the g league and like mitch is just showing everyone up i think the final stat was he missed four shots in two games like the the per 36 were, was something like 17 15 and like four or five blocks for mitch so he's i mean it's just unquestioned out of this world um i i do i do think we should um we, we should really focus this segment though on um Kevin Knox and R.J. Barrett because to me, Alex, they're sort of the two most fascinating and like disparate stories to come out of summer league. Um Knox for like how good he's looked attacking the basket and like I, I do I mean I, I still think there's like stuff to take issue with in Knox's game and like he, he didn't necessarily make like that huge, huge massive leap over these four games that like in a perfect world I would have wanted, but like you, you literally like he couldn't have played much better than he did in this game against the Lakers and just his willingness, or more so, I guess, his ability to use his combination of size and speed and then to really credibly finish around the basket. And just the confidence he has attacking the basket. I really thought that was missing his rookie season, and it was so nice to see over these last couple of games.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was going to say to your point uh, a second ago about how, you know, the like guys looking like they're too good for summer league at a certain point. I've actually been encouraged by the fact that Unfortunately, RJ Barrett didn't look that way. I mean, RJ's definitely had his struggles in summer league, but I think that I mean, Alonzo Trier showed in that first game he's definitely too good for summer league at this point. Um, and then in you know in all the games, Mitch, uh, other than the third game, which again, like, I'm basically willing to just scrub the third game from existence as far as we're concerned um, because you know it's it's like it, it was just terrible. I don't know. I I just feel like everybody was like. I don't want to say like hungover, but that's what it reminded me of. Like everybody just seemed like they just couldn't get their heads on straight for that whole game. But, um, you know, Mitch looked too good for summer league for most of this time. And even Kevin Knox, I think other than that third game has looked almost too good for summer league. Um, you know, cause his scoring package seems to have gotten a lot better. Um, he's hitting spot up threes at like a really, really good rate, uh, compared to what he did last season. I guess like, Maybe it's not that crazy. Like he he did. He shot two of five in the game the other night, um, which was actually like shooting 40 percent from three was about in line with what he did during his best stretches during last season, like those last two months. And then like that month of December and change, uh, he managed to do that last season as well. So um, but I, I just yeah, to your point, he looks a little bigger. He looks like he's put on a little bit of muscle and he already had a pretty big frame to do that with. So. He seems like he's kind of throwing that newfound weight around a little bit, which is good to see. And uh, he's definitely looking for contact more. He's looking to get into the lane almost every time. He's being very decisive, which is good to see, too. Um, There's been very few times. I I feel like I've beat this drum so many times over the last few weeks. But there's been very few times where they just have given him the ball at the top of the key and told him to figure something out. Um, You know, it's been like if he gets the ball in his hands, it's to either shoot a three or to make a quick drive. Um, I still want to see him make more cuts. Cause I think that would be a really valuable part to add to his game, but all in all, I've, I've been impressed. And in particular with his ability to catch and shoot right now, there was, there was one play that didn't count in the Lakers game, uh, that I really enjoyed because it, it would be a new wrinkle to kind of add to his game. He, it, it, there was a, I think it was like a three on two transition opportunity, maybe, um, And I think it was RJ was driving into the into the paint and Knox just spotted up on the left wing and got the ball and like very quickly fired it off. He was a little bit off balance, even because he still hadn't fully set himself and just like perfect splashed it. But unfortunately, his foot was touching the back line or the sideline, I should say. Um, But I mean, that was that was a great take to me. And that's something like if he can hit like transition threes and stuff like that and be like truly dangerous in quick spot up situations like that, it'll completely unlock the game for him, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. And, I mean, to me, one of the more encouraging things we've seen from Knox, and, I, I mean, this has to translate to the NBA, and it's a completely different animal. Um, in, in Summer League versus the NBA, I mean, given his improved physicality, like, you just don't see too many guys built like Kevin Knox who can move like Kevin Knox in Summer League, while in the NBA, they're I mean, saying they're a dime a dozen is strong. Like, he's still fairly unique. But there, there is another guy on every team like that. I, I just want to see the continued ability to – excuse me, to get to the charity stripe on nights when he's not shooting particularly well. Like, that was almost, like, one of the few encouraging things to come out of the Raptors game where, like, I mean, from the field, he was absolutely atrocious, 3 of 15 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3, but he was able to get to the foul line 11 times. He made 8 free throws, And, and, and next year, like, that's, I mean, to me, that's sort of the mark of a really good offensive player when they don't have those exceptionally good shooting nights. They're still able to find a way to be efficient, um, and I wonder how much of that carries over, and it's certainly something I'm going to be watching out for. Uh, what, what was sort of your take on RJ Barrett over the last couple of games? I'm sure you spent some time talking about it on the podcast over the last few days, but we we haven't really had a chance to have a conversation about it. And obviously, I mean, there, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna fix it on the negatives because I was like a little bit like lower than you were on him coming into the draft. But I, I did particularly like what we've started to see from him as a passer and rebounder over the last two games.
1: Yeah. Well, what's nice is he he finally cut down on turnovers like it seems like i know it's only summer league but it it seems like things are sort of slowing down for him in a way to use like the old basketball cliche sure um you know because in the first couple games there was the i think it was the second game that he had the eight turnovers and that was just miserable um and i think the main reason for that was it, it just seemed like he was just oh so short on you know making all these passes you know what i mean it was like He would be just like a half second too late uh, trying to hit these guys, you know, going towards the hoop or whatever. And the last few games, I think he's been passing a lot better. Um, He's also been finally like I I made this observation um, before based off the based off the first two games. it, It seemed like he was trying intentionally to go right a lot, like maybe just to prove to himself that he could. But he's a lefty, obviously, so. He was going to his non-dominant hand, trying to like drive to the hoop and stuff. And I, uh, you know, maybe he was just testing that out, but it, it really seemed like it was making him uncomfortable. And the last couple games, he's been embracing his left a little more again. Um, you know, driving to the left, if the defense is giving it to him, because it never seemed like anybody was particularly like shading him that hard to his left, that he had to go right. Uh, it seemed like everybody was basically facing him up and he could have gone wherever he wanted. Um, so it's been good to see him kind of going with what's more comfortable to him. He had a couple really nice like post up moves too, which I liked because uh, he definitely, you know, through everything, even the Maple Mama nickname that he's sort of given himself, he he definitely uh, embraces that like mid post game a little bit, um, you know, and wants to have that be part of his repertoire. And he had a couple of nice like face-up opportunities. Also, some good like back-down opportunities where he sort of muscled his way in and then made a quick spin move and got really nice dunks off of it. Uh, he did that twice, and one from each block, which was good to see as well. So it, I just, it, yeah, I, I like him. I I still worry a little bit like about how inefficient he's been because even at his best, I think the the best game actually for him was the worst game for the Knicks. Um, that game against the Raptors. I think he shot about 40% in that one, but by and large, otherwise, he's been shooting like in the thirties and even in the twenties, which is just really ugly. Um, But, you know, I think it's going to come around. I think he's been working on his jumper and now he has the whole summer to do that and to really like, you know, finish that off. Um, So hopefully by the time training camp rolls around, he feels a little more comfortable with this reworked jumper. Cause you could definitely tell that he's leaving it short sometimes right now because of the new motion and everything. Cause he's like, if you look at how he shot at Duke versus how he's shooting now, it seems a little more compact his release now. Uh, whereas at Duke is a little more ex- longer and exaggerated, but took longer. Um, so, you know, it's all things that hopefully will start coming with time as he gets more comfortable in his own skin. But it, I guess my overall takeaway, and you know, obviously there's tonight's game as well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, my overall takeaway from summer league for him is that he got, a little more comfortable even just through a few games in summer league. And that gives me a lot of hope that even if he comes out struggling a little bit against the real NBA competition, come the regular season that he'll be able to figure it out and, and, you know, get himself (laughs) to use Fisdale's words, get himself right uh, pretty quickly and, and, you know, start contributing at an NBA level.
0: Yeah. I I think, um, I I don't know. I think the summer league confirmed a lot of the concerns I had about him and why I, I largely didn't think like he was the right choice for the Knicks at three, like, like the biggest thing is just the, the lack of explosiveness. And that that was, that was sort of my argument the whole time. Like if you're taking someone like like, let's just say like in the mold of the type of player that he is, like you want like, like an alpha dog, like number one scorer. Like I I just, I I think you you just need that burst and you need that level of athleticism, that first step, however you want to quantify it. And in Summer League, we've seen a lot of, I think, what kept him from being really efficient at Duke, and, and that is just the, the notion that, like, he doesn't necessarily, like, beat guys off the dribble really cleanly, and the way he creates shots are, is by using his strength and using pace and, like, his ability to, like, adjust and adapt around the rim, and, and he's pretty good at those things, and, and at Duke, like, he did show off, like, a pretty, like, creative, like, layup package, like, even if he's not, like, he doesn't have the best touch in the world, but it's solid. He, he just like, I, I was just really hoping we were going to see like a more explosive version of RJ Barrett because I mean, the biggest thing he's been working on this summer is is hip flexibility and, and that ability to be a little bit shiftier in transition. And we didn't really get to see that quite yet. Like he's still trying to go straight into people's bodies. He's still trying to generate contact and create space by bouncing off people more than like speeding around them or going around them. And I don't, I, and again, like I think my, my biggest thing with him is I just don't know how much of that like you can teach or even train into a person. Like I buy the idea that like every single guy in the NBA could get more explosive. And you and you do see guys get more explosive as their career goes on, as their bodies mature. And yet simultaneously like it is like within like whatever like gifts you were born with and like whatever your like just genetic capabilities are, like there there is like a certain like cap on that like there was a reason like whatever like like Steve Nash was never like ironically his godfather was like sprinting up the floor and like tomahawking over someone like you can only improve those skills so much and I'm wondering if RJ's ceiling is just a little bit low in that area like and in my mind like and maybe I'm wrong about that but like that really just like caps what he can be as a player I, I like how smart he is and I think you really got to see that the last two games he had that one sequence against I think it was the Suns where he caught it and he just sort of like quickly redirected it to someone on the corner like when someone was cutting off ball and it was just that ability to like read the defense like a step ahead at such a young age that like continues to make me somewhat bullish about RJ and like I think I think he's smart and I think he's incredibly hardworking and I I think the baseline for him is that he's going to be a decent player just because of the the body he has the skill level he has and like how hard he's going to work I just I really and again, like this is this is so preemptive. Like you see all the t- like Trey Young like sucked in summer league last year. Like I think Trey Young was like pretty clearly like worse than RJ was. But you just saw you saw flashes from Young with his passing and, and some of the range shooting that I just haven't I, I just I'm still waiting for that like wow moment from R J. Barrett. And and in my mind, like I don't I don't know if we're ever gonna get it because I just I don't think he's that type of athlete. I don't think he's that type of talent. But the good news is he has plenty of time and like summer league has never totally proven to be indicative of much so it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what he does in tomorrow night's game and i think that's a good opportunity alex to take a quick break come back and uh talk about i said tomorrow night but the game's tonight talk about what we're going to see tonight from the summer Knicks.
1: yeah well if i may just real quick i just want to kick back on rj's yeah go ahead uh rj's athleticism i actually don't think he's like a I, i don't think he's a below average athlete at all i actually think he's probably an above average athlete. I think the biggest thing with him is going to be adjusting his mindset uh, as it pertains to his athleticism, because I think that he's, he's gone so long, even in college of being like bigger than everybody else and better than everybody else. And basically like his style of play as a result, has just been to bully his way around. But I, I think you, you can see it even just in summer league, how he's been adjusting himself that, he's now realizing that he can't overpower everybody anymore. Like he can't overpower bigs anymore. That's not going to happen. Like that's just not something you can do in the NBA as a, as a six, uh, six, seven guard. You know what I mean? Uh, So I think that he's, I think he's learning that. I think he's understanding that. And I think he's going to over time start using his athleticism more to finesse his way around people rather than try to just bowl through them. Cause he's definitely more of like a, like a shoulder down, get in close and finish type of guy rather than like a elevate, try to finish over somebody type of guy or even like a be crafty and, and you know, work your way around somebody. But you could even see it in the, um, in the Laker game. He busted out like a really, really gorgeous Euro step at one point and, you know, got around someone that way. He's, I think he's definitely got that sort of stuff in his bag and I think it's just going to be a matter of him embracing it uh, at a certain point. And like learning how to use his athleticism, not to like I hate to even bring this person up because, again, it's like the pinnacle. But like you look at the foolish comparison for RJ from some people, which was James Harden, Harden's the type of guy that he's actually a very elite athlete, but you don't often see him use it because he, he chooses to finesse people more. And, you know, he absorbs contact and and has learned to get takes off that way and stuff like that rather than. But, you know, if, if he needs to, he can he can totally throw it down on you from time to time. I think that like if we ideally hit RJ ceiling would be how he would operate, um, you know, maybe not quite to the same effect that Harden does. But I, I think he's just going to need to learn how to use his athleticism now uh, and learn to use it in a, in a more creative way rather than just the overpowering way that he's used it to this point in his life
0: yeah i, I guess the only thing i disagree like these harden like it, it's interesting because it's not how you would normally measure athleticism but i think it's um it, it's that institution in california it's like p3 they measure like de-acceleration and like hardens is actually you know it's funny like Luka Doncic, like another guy who's like not considered like a great like on paper athlete is also great at this like for both of them like de- their ability to de-accelerate is like better than like anyone in nba history and probably better than almost anyone in human history and they are special special athletes in those areas and you can certainly make a case like i I do think rj has like a little bit of that in his game and there's like a reason like he's so good like when he is like one-on-one with someone in transition and kind of throwing them off like you mentioned the euro step like i really i think that move is going to be key for his career but i i just like i don't know i maybe i'm wrong about it like i think i think vertically like he's clearly like a good athlete Um, What what Drew Hanlon, like his trainer, keeps talking about is like they're trying to get like his hip flexibility up and like his ability to sort of be like a little bit like shiftier. And like I think that's where like I think Harden and like to a lesser degree Doncic, like someone like Manu Ginobili too. I think those guys are like like naturally special in that area. I don't know if if Barrett like has that naturally necessarily, and it's something we're gonna see going forward. But it's certainly like it's an interesting conversation, and he's like really like a great litmus test for like how far like skill level can get you and i guess we're going to find out like how much pure athleticism he has because it it is it takes like such a high level combination of both those things to be a great scorer in the nba anyways with that we'll take a quick break we'll come back and maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit more about rj and what we want to see out of him in this final game next on locked on Welcome back into Locked On Knicks third and final segment. Gavin Shaw and Alex Wolf here with you. We went a little bit long in the second one, so we're going to keep this relatively short. Um, Alex, we're just going to take turns. We're going to go back and forth, um, one goal each for uh, the Knicks starters for this final game. And then uh, we'll just pick out one guy on the bench that we want to see something from. All right, so let, let's start off on top. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, he's, I mean, I, I literally, I don't think, like, it's really possible for, like, at least a, a guy in his mold to have played much better um, through the first four games of Summer League. What do, what do you want to see from him tonight in his final Summer League outing?
1: So my, uh, I know we said one goal. I want, mine's going to be two. Sure. I, <laughs> I want him to shoot one or two jumpers be it from three, from the elbow, wherever, maybe one, one elbow jumper, one three point jumper. I also, my second goal for him is I don't want him to play more than 10 minutes. I don't, I don't want him to be out there for too long. Like there's no need at this point, if they're not going to be developing new skills for him out there and he's just going to be doing his, his amazing Mitch routine. Uh, I don't want him out there with the risk for a potential injury. So that would be my choice for him.
0: I'm with you on the 10 minutes a game. Um, I'm I'm going to just say like a little bit of a different area. I think it was against, I can't remember if it was the Lakers or the Raptors, but he, he had that one play where like he, I, it might've been like a fake triple handoff and he kind of drove into the lane and laid it in. Like, I, I'd love to see him like try and take someone off the dribble. And it doesn't like, I mean, because that's not going to be his game in the NBA, like where you're never going to like throw it to him on the, or at least not for the next couple of years. You're not going to, throw it to him on the perimeter and be like, okay, go to work one-on-one. But I wouldn't mind seeing him, like, operate from, like, the elbow, like, faking a dribble handoff, like, pivoting and trying to attack the basket and and just really using his length and athleticism to finish over someone. And and I think that's going to kind of be the sweet spot for him next year. Like, maybe, like, last season, like, it was really mostly lobs. Like, this year, maybe we get to a point where he has some, like, just even one dribble finishes I think would really be a big step forward to him. Like, just... Either even if it's like a drop step or if it's like catching on the elbow and like a quick pivot and just sort of surprising a big with how fast he is and getting right to the rim and dunking it. Just adding little things like that, because I do think like he's never going to be like as strong as a Giannis and he's never going to be as skilled as like a Giannis. But he does have like that just total freakish athleticism. And it would be really exciting to see him, um, I guess, expand that beyond just the realm of of rim running and and to be able to just take one dribble from a little bit further out on the perimeter, get right to the rim and then creatively finish over someone. All right. uh, RJ Barrett, uh, what what do you want to see from him tonight?
1: Um, I just want to continue see him uh, uh, actually, you know, I, if I had to narrow it down, I, I've been pretty happy with how he's been like passing the ball and certainly the rebounding. I want to see his shot selection be really stringent in this one. I want to make sure. And I mean, I don't think he's necessarily been taking a ton of bad shots. He just has been making shots, but I want to see him like for sure, um, You know, not take not take any really bad shots or anything and and just only look for clean looks tonight and then, you know, maybe try to draw the defense on some of his drives. And instead of just like barreling in and and taking an ill-fated attempt and not even necessarily drawing fouls, maybe look for him to pass out of those situations more.
0: Yeah, maybe this is antithetical to what I was saying about his skill set and what I think his upside is, but I just kind of want to see him kick ass. Like, he he had that, like, the game that sort of put him on the map was at, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the under-19 or under-18 World Championships, probably the under-19 where he he dropped what was it like 38 37 on the United States and he, he led Canada to an upset over us team which is just like unheard of like in these like youth like international tournaments like it just never ever happens the u.s developmental system and like the range of talent is just so far ahead of the rest of the world and and, and Canada is always solid but they're just not in the same class as the US and Barrett I mean this is like this is what made him great like he was just able to come on and be like Fuck the U.S. Like, I'm, 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 I'm going to kick their ass. I don't care who's on the other team. I, I, I just want to see that from them because we never really got that at Duke. Because Zion was always the alpha dog. He hasn't shot that well through these first four games, and I know the level of talent is up across the board. And he doesn't necessarily have that like physical dominance that you notice that he had to some degree in college and like against high school kids. I mean, the reason I think he was so good was just because he was more physically developed than a lot of those guys. I, I just I want to see like I want to see a star quality from RJ Barrett because I, I don't I- I'm a non-believer. I don't necessarily think it's there. I want to be proven wrong tonight. All right, uh, Izzy Brazdakis, Uh He he's had an excellent summer league um, by and large. What do you want to see from him and? his final performance?
1: Um, I don't know if I really, there's not really anything different that I feel like I need to see from Iggy, if we're being honest. Like, I just want him to keep keep doing what he's been doing. Like, that's the one guy that, like, I have no real I have no real complaints about with how he's been playing. I just think he, he goes out there and he plays hard. He's been taking pretty smart shots, um, you know, been looking for a lot of, like, spot-up three-point opportunities, and he's been smart on drives to the rim and stuff like that. Um, he's shown to be a way better passer than I necessarily thought he was. So, yeah, I, I kind of just want a status quo for Miggy. If we're being honest, I, I, there's not a single thing that I'm like, oh, I need him to do this better.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, and I think I'm going to I'm going to take this as an opportunity to um, to compliment his game because I'm, I'm again in total agreement with you. I, I just I want to see him keep continue to play within himself. I think that's what he's done such a good job of in summer league and it's something that it really i think it's an underrated element when you're looking at these guys across the board in summer league like not just on the knicks but in general and you're saying okay who's going to be successful and it's not always the guy who's the leading scorer on a team or the guy who's really forcing the issue i look for guys who are effortlessly effective because you're playing in a setting where everyone's desperately trying to stand out, and your your real incentive in these games is like an individual, like with with the exception of like the top like the, the first round picks, and when when you look at these rosters, like I mean, the vast majority of guys, like it sounds weird to say, but like they're not going to end up in the NBA. They're not the first round picks. Like the majority of these guys, like in, in the context of um, how teams are actually going to do it in the regular season, like they it's, it's harsh to say, but they they just they simply don't matter. And I think because of that, like you see so many guys who play selfishly and like, or like, even if they do like score and score like efficiently, like it's because they're like really forcing the issue and saying like, I'm just going to be the alpha dog. Like I'm playing only for me. I'm not playing to win. But what's been so impressive about Iggy is like, I feel like he's, he hasn't forced anything like he's totally been within the flow of the offense. And despite that, like he's largely been efficient. He's largely been um, just able to play his game and play. So at a really calm pace and, and let the game come to him more than force the issue. So I guess I just want to continue to see that. All right. Uh, Kevin Knox, who, who's largely been really good this summer league. What do you want to see from him in his final um, summer league outing?
1: Um, you know, he's another guy I don't really have too many complaints about. I want to see him score 30. Let's just say that. I want to see him like truly ball out and put up a 30 spot again he did that last summer league although he's been a lot more efficient during this one but i kind of like i like what we've been seeing with knox with him being so aggressive and and decisive and stuff on offense and i think it'd be cool like i want to actually know i'll say this i want him to score 30 on decent efficiency and i also want him to take more shots than rj if at all possible even though rj is going to have the ball in his hands more I guess that sort of feeds into my goal for RJ of wanting him to be smart and pass out of situations and stuff like that. Hopefully he finds Knox in those situations. I just I want Knox to like ball out on offense. That's my big goal.
0: Yeah, I want to see I want to see some passing from him.
1: And I know that was something that we were really I mean, obviously,
0: during the regular season was like largely an absent part of his skill set. And in summer league, he's had he's had a few nice assists here and there but i i want to see that continued ability to like get to the rim and like obviously like when he has a layup like i want him to be aggressive i want him to take it or i want him to get to the foul line but i wouldn't mind him like drawing some double teams and like just throwing like some nice passes and like that's not something that's going to come overnight like i think if it does ever really become a key part of his game in the nba it's probably going to be two three years down the road but i wouldn't i wouldn't mind seeing some flashes of that uh allen is one like i I don't really have a great gauge of these. I think he sort of is who he is. Like, he's smart. He's heady. Um, and I guess I kind of put him in the Iggy-Knox category. of Like, I just want to see, like more of who he is and like I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if like he he really had like a good shooting night if he made like five threes or something just in the sense that like I I love a reminder for like David Fisdale and company I know at this point like I mean presume like there's like a pretty strong chance like Frank Nilekina gets dealt at at some point or another and like maybe Allen does end up being your third point guard and your second point guard if someone gets hurt but I, I just I just kind of want him to remind the Knicks like I mean there's like you could make a real argument that even if he's the fourth most talented, like he could quite literally be like the next like most effective point guard on the court next season.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I guess from Kadim, I want to see more Game Four Kadim, more Lakers game Kadim than the other uh, games. I, I think that he, I think he maybe was told, you know, by the coaching staff that he had to be the stabilizing vet out there and be like their lead ball handler and set everything up. And I don't know if that's necessarily his best role, especially in the summer league setting where things are a little more freewheeling and less structured. Uh, but it, he seemed to have a really good grasp in the last game. And that's more what I want to see. So that's kind of my goal for him is just play within himself, you know, the way that he does and um, not try to do too much because that has not worked well during summer league in this more like freewheeling setting. Uh, I'd rather him just kind of keep doing his thing. And, and like you said, with Iggy, you know, just kind of keep doing his thing as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess for for the last player, you know, we were going to each pick one player off the bench that we want for one thing for them to do. I so uh, it's difficult. The three guys that I'm considering for this would be Lamar Peters, Amir Hinton, and Kenny Wooten. Um, I think I'm most intrigued by Hinton. Uh, because he's shown some really interesting like wing skills, despite the fact that I thought he was more of a guard uh, coming into this. It, he's shown like really good cutting ability, and he seems like he's ready, willing, and able to spot up and all of that. So I kind of want to see him like he's gotten very sparing minutes, which is understandable because you know we talk about we talk about it's difficult for RJ to get used to the the speed of the NBA game and all that coming from Duke. I mean, I can only imagine. And it's twice as hard for Hinton right now, who's coming from D2, playing in like, you know, uh, 200 seat gyms all you know season. Now, have, even having to play in the Thomas and Mack center is probably like a huge adjustment for him uh, based off where he was playing before. So I would just want to see Hinton hopefully get like 20 minutes, which would be way more than he's gotten in any of these games so far. And kind of, you know, give him an opportunity to test himself really and, and see what he can do. So that's that's my one goal for that and hopefully that means you know a little less playing time for guys like RJ and Knox and uh you know because like I said with Mitch I'd kind of like if some of our guys that project to be regular rotation players this year could get a little more of a breather in this game like let them play a little bit just to finish things off but don't like push them towards like 30 minutes again by any stretch
0: yeah I I wish I wish I had a different answer but I'm with you I mean he's the guy who um I I was hoping um after we heard from Spencer for a little bit more on Lamar Peters, who obviously hasn't gotten a chance to play, like, a whole lot of minutes yet. But I, I agree, kind of him, I, I think, is the most interesting guy just because there is that adjustment. And I think that leaves, like, a little bit more of a ceiling. And like, I mean, clearly, like, I mean, he, he's not going to be anything more than, like, a G League player next season. But, like, I wouldn't mind him coming out and, like, having a really big shooting performance and just sort of giving the Knicks, like, a little bit of a flash and saying, like, you know what? Like, maybe that's a guy we should keep around Westchester develop for three, four years. Like, who, Like, even if the best-case scenario... Form is that if he turns into like a Kadim Allen type, where like six years down the road, you're like, oh, you know what? Like we need, we just need like an extra shooter off the bench. We've been re- developing this guy for a couple of years. Let's like give him a shot. Like I, I just I want to see like a flash of of that talent, and you, mostly because he's such a cool story coming from D two. So that's uh, that's kind of my hope. Anyways, the Knicks um, they they play at six o'clock tonight. I think the game is on ESPN three. So if you have access to that or um, an illegal stream, which we cannot officially promote, but I'm sure you can find one. Um, uh, enjoy the game, and uh, Alex. Unless you have anything else to say, I think we can wrap it up right there.
1: No, let's wrap it up. That's been another edition of Locked On Knicks. We will be back for you guys probably on Monday breaking down that final summer league game, maybe starting to get into, I don't know if that's going to take a whole show or not. So we'll see. Maybe we'll start getting into some of the lesser player reviews now that we're past the free agency period. The roster's all full. Uh, We got some good stuff coming up in the next few weeks for you guys regardless. So uh, we'll take a break, enjoy your weekend, enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you guys again soon on Monday. Peace out.